Welcome back to the Trees and Nylon podcast. I am your host, Trees and Nylon. You can call me Trees. And I'm joined today by the trend savant, the founder of This Is Range or Just Range, and the better half of Cooper Gill, friend of the podcast. It is Janine Pesh. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Hi, thanks for having me, Trees. <laughs> of course, yeah. Happy to be here. <laughs> Happy to have you. Very happy to have you. Um, I've heard some great things from a lot of people about you and your company. So I'm happy to sit down with you today. Oh, I hope I can live up to the hype. <laughs> I hope so too. It's it's going to be ruthless if you can't. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> awesome. Well, on this podcast, we talk about trees and also nylon, working through a past, present, and future progression, both those topics. Mm-hmm. So the question for you to start it off, what would you like to start with? Trees or nylon? Mm. I'd like to start with trees. All right, there we go. Trees. Awesome. So tell mm-hmm. me a little bit about how you got started with uh, not really going outside. I always say that it's more like enjoying going outside because everyone goes outside or most yeah. people, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. So my story is really interesting because I grew up in Brooklyn, which you don't really associate with like being an outdoorsy person. Mm-hmm. Um, but my grandfather and my dad were really intrinsically connected to the outdoors. And that was something that, that was passed on to me at a really early age. Um, so my, my grandfather was a hunter and he was a part of the CCC, which was the civilian conservation corp, which was mm. launched in the thirties as part of like Teddy Roosevelt's new deal. And yeah. the program basically was to take young men from urban city centers like New York or Brooklyn and bring them out West to help develop the park system. So my grandfather, when he was like 15, went out West wow. and like did trail work and like laid the foundation for what would become our national park system. So he kind of became this like a naturalist without even really understanding what that meant at the time. And again, this is the thirties. So this is obviously predates anything that we're talking about today. Um, he hunted and that was also a big part of his identity being from Italy. It was like a very provincial thing Mm. to kind of hunt small game and stuff like that. So, um, my father, he was an Eagle scout and introduced me to camping in the cat skills and just general, um, basic survival skills. He was also in the FDNY and like, we were just a very kind of like brass tacks kind of family where like everybody Mm. had to know how to build a fire, put out a fire, like what to do in case of emergencies, what to do if you're lost. So like a lot of that stuff was just like programming into my youth. And then I went on my first big camping trip, I would say in my early, when I was 20, I drove um, from New York or Philly, actually I was living in Philly at the time because I was in university, all the way up the East Coast um, to Maine and hit kind of like all the parks um, along the way. We did it for about three weeks, me and a close friend. Yeah. And that was like my first big, like adult kind of camping trip. And Mm. I went and worked in the fashion industry after I graduated from university. I have a design degree in fashion and Mm. ended up working in trend forecasting, um, which is a whole story in itself, but brings (laughs) you back to the outdoors. Um, And um, a lot of our clients at the time were in the action sports and streetwear and outdoor space. And I kind of became the default person that would work with them because I was outdoorsy ish Mm -hmm. at the time. Um, so yeah, so my connection to the outdoors came from my, my father's side and, and, um, it it was really an influential part of who I was growing up. Um, but it's not traditional. Like I didn't like grow up in like Colorado or out west. Like, you know, I grew <laughs> yeah. up in Brooklyn, so it's 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 just a kind of like a strange connection, but it definitely shaped who I am and my my mm. personal passions, and then it, it, later in life, my professional trajectory mm-hmm. as well. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's very cool. That's um not something I've heard very often. A lot of it is a lot of people that come on here to like, oh yeah, you know, I was like around the outdoors. I went camping as a kid. Or I would go on hikes or walks, but. I like that uh, you were you were kind of forced to learn how to be more of a survivalist. I like that aspect. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> yeah, for for sure, for sure. I mean, and this is like pretty like you know low analog, like low impact gear, like canvas tents, and like mm-hmm. very much like surplus military stuff. Yeah, was like yeah. My early introduction into camping, um, we would put up this like duck tent. Um, and my dad would like, and then like a cot, and he would be like, okay, like take it down, put it back up. 
And I'd be like, okay, you know, so stuff like that. But like, <laughs> Mr. Never, Miyagi. Yeah. Like never realizing at the time what like he was really teaching me, like these, like these skills that I would like take throughout life. I, yeah. You know, so. Can you still start a fire with just okay. like two? Did you ever learn how to do it with just two sticks or? I mean, it's or was not it like with easy. lint. Yeah. 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 You definitely like lint. I mean, you know, shining magnifying glasses, like all mm. sorts of different tricks and techniques, but like, I've never been able to like roll the stick yeah, and no, do it. Neither. Like that, that takes serious patience, but I actually, funny enough, I'm the leader of my daughter's girl guides unit here where oh, we nice. live. And Girl Guides in Canada is, is like the scouts in the U.S. Mm. And um, I've been working with them a lot. They're like five and six years old on like learning oh, nice. how to, to build, you know, log houses and teepee structures and collect tinder and kindling and stuff. So it's funny to really like bring some of that back into into the mix. Yeah, I am the uh, whenever me and my friends go camping, I'm like the resident fire keeper. You know, I'm the guy who it's down to just one ember and I just like, okay, Oh, I just said my name. Dreams uh, get over here, and you know you you have to you have to get it back. And they're like, we're gonna go we'll take a walk. We're gonna come back. We should, we should have fires because uh, we want to eat tonight. It's like, all right, cool. Yeah. Sounds good. There's always someone in the group that has to be the fire whisperer. Yeah, um, it's but, yeah. It's funny too because Coop, uh, like my husband, who's also quite outdoorsy, quote mm-hmm. unquote, um, <laughs> he knows to just like back out, back back away. Like he's like, mm-hmm. this is your domain. Like. You feel- <laughs> that sparks joy for you like this is your space so i've definitely melted quite a few boots on campfires (laughs) and like sticking my feet in and like poking too much stuff like that so but yeah nice nice very cool um well that was was a very thorough explanation of your past with camping um (laughs) going outside i guess yeah what how how is it nowadays how often you get out there now yeah not enough that's what everyone says yeah i mean obviously (laughs) we working but lucky enough to work in the outdoor industry. So at least I'm outdoor adjacent. Even when I'm on a zoom call, it's talking about the outside. Mm -hmm. Um, I live in beautiful Squamish, British British Columbia, which I'm Mm -hmm. so grateful for. And we can, it's really easy for us to access the outdoors because we live in such an outdoor adjacent place. Um, I have the chief right behind me. There's just miles and miles of trail running and hiking and, um, it's, it's pretty easy for us to get outside now. Uh, it's, it's a little more challenging if we want to, I would say going into the back country is easier here than actually getting like a camp campsite because campsite really? it's very similar like California where like once the campsites open, like they get booked up immediately. It's like getting oh, yeah. a ticket to a show. Like if you don't mm-hmm. get, you know, if you're not online at 7am then you like don't get the anything for the season. Mm-hmm. So, so we often like end up in the back country more than we, when we do at actual campsites. Interesting. Yeah. That's, that's kind of how it is. Me and my buddies, um, we do this big trip. This is the third year we've done it. The first year was just five of us. Second year was nine of us. And now it's going to be 12. So it just keeps on growing, which is cool. But uh, we, we were trying to get two campsites this time in a different spot in the Smoky Mountains, which is like the closest national park to me. Yeah, And uh, we were on there like on the dot when it dropped when when the dropped when like you know the campsites got yeah. released and uh we still we were just slammed we could barely find something yeah it's crazy it's, it's just wild yeah i'd like to plug my friend's company hip camp um who is trying to solve that problem by opening up access to private land to camp on um because it's so challenging to find public campsites um mm-hmm. in the u.s so give mm-hmm. her a little plug Alyssa yeah hip, hip camp that's awesome yeah. i'm just on it right now that's very yeah. cool uh, to circumvent that, me and my friends usually just go on the Appalachian and hike up a few miles and just find a spot. That's That'll a good work. way. We're, we're lucky work. enough to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So my dad but, and I actually have this big dream of doing it together. Like he yeah. really wants to do the AT and like, I, I like, I, it's like on our vision board of like a life goal for us to get to do it. Mm-hmm. Even if I can't do the whole thing, just like, you know, I, I can't through hike it. I can't take that much time off work, but to, to you know, hike parts of it with him and stuff. Um, I've been trying to like set him up with like modern, um, performance, you know, (laughs) apparel and like functional footwear for the last few years. Cause he'll like go and a pair of new balance or Reeboks or something and not think twice about it. I'm always like, dad, like my clients are in the outdoor industry. Like, (laughs) let me help you. Like, let me get you what you need. (laughs) Pretty funny. Nice. Well, speaking of that, uh, Robbie N4HC and 
Eve, MCNA. Those are Instagram handles. They are both doing it right now and they're posting reels every day and they're, oh, cool. I, they're tagging me. And that's the only reason I know about it. So thank you for tagging me in those. Um, super sick though. They, I think they're like 12 days in at this point and awesome. posting a reel every day of everything they're experiencing. And it's just very cool. Like the idea of the trail angels and just like seeing, cause you would imagine like hiking this trail is just very desolate, but they're seeing so many people and like having like nice meals and sleeping under shelters with people and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. I didn't know that that was like a whole experience, but yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of camaraderie on the trail and people help each Mm -hmm. other and like support each other through the process. Um, and now I think because there's so many more tools, like you can, you know, you have cell phone access and you know, you aren't Mm -hmm. just pulling out an Atlas (laughs) and like figuring out your, your route, you know, you, you have a lot more support there, I think than probably Mm -hmm. ever in the past. So have more opportunities awesome. to connect yeah there you go i've done the approach trail but i have not and i'm like you know the few miles of it that i do hike when i do go camping but nothing crazy i, I don't know if i'm dedicated to going all the way to maine it's that's a lot that's a lot of walking it's cool though man imagine just getting that freedom to just be present and you know like wander the art of wandering mm-hmm. and like being with yourself and your thoughts it's like so expansive and what a cool i mean i'm like daydreaming about it now <laughs> love that uh, maybe one day yeah our modern lives don't really afford us those luxuries to just tap yeah. out but yeah i would put it on the vision board mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's definitely it sounds like an experience for sure it sounds like a life-changing experience um yeah i don't i wonder how many people actually do you know how many people do it a year no not off the top of my head Aren't you in the industry? I have so much data in my head. Um, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm like a central processing unit of data <laughs> usually. So if I'm not ready to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> it says about 4,000 a year. Attempt it. Attempt it. Attempt it. We don't yeah. know. Oh, um, but are they completing through, it. But are they through high? Yeah, are they completing like, or are they completing just. Completing looks about to be like a heights. thousand. Yeah, it's it's hard. Yeah. It's a lot. I How mean, the, P- like the PCT months, yeah. is also challenging, you know, mm-hmm. like, and you're going typically, I think in May, people start off um, in Mexico. And then by the mm-hmm. time you get up to the Pacific Northwest, you know, you're in snow and like, wow. it's serious. The conditions are really hectic. Sounds awful. <laughs> it's not, I'm, not, I'm not a big, I'm not a big hiking in snow kind of guy. I like mm-hmm. to enjoy snow from inside most of the time, you know, Georgia kid, whatever. Um, anyway, we can move on to, I guess the future. Uh, what, what is, you've already talked about the Appalachian trail, obviously what's some other stuff you'd like to do outside some grail countries to go to hikes to go on anything like that. Um, we are, we were meant to go to Chamonix in, in the last, in, at the end of June, which I've never been, to see the Alps or any really big classic European mountain ranges. Um, so I'd love to do that and do, I was going to do some like basics to alpinism. Um, Mm. I would love to get more into mountaineering. I've been so close to it for so many years. Mm. Um, but never like fully committed. Like I've done some ice climbing and and things like that, but I've never really fully committed to alpinism. And I I feel like that would be a fun next step and really someplace to explore and push further. But I do really enjoy ice climbing a lot and I almost more than, than regular climbing. So, um, definitely that I'd say that that's definitely on my bucket list. Um, and just like exploring locally where we live here in BC, I mean, it's the wilderness is so vast here Mm. And like, you can get into some gnarly shit really fast. Like you, you don't really even have to travel far off the, the road to find something pretty unique and, and untouched. So I feel like we have a lot of exploring mm. to do here. I've done some like, um, some fun backpacking trips, like outside of Pemberton, which is just North of Whistler, um, mm. to some beautiful Alpine lakes. There's a lot of Alpine lakes here and, and, and glacial awesome. lakes. Yeah. It's like that. crazy beautiful. Like four or 5,000 feet of elevation. And then like all of a sudden you're just like, it's a wild fly flower explosion with just mm. like a crystal clear blue glacial lake. And I don't know, <laughs> just kind of incredible how, how fast and how easy you can access that stuff. I feel like in the, in the U S you know, you have to really drive to it. Like it's funny. We, for our honeymoon, we actually went 
to um, Yosemite mm-hmm. and backpack there for like five days. And I just remember like once you have to go so far off the valley floor to really feel like you're alone there because it's just there's so many people at like like a national park in the U.S. like Yosemite, whereas like here in in Canada, everything is just wild and big. Mm, really, you think yeah. that's like are there less national parks in Canada? Or you just think it's more space. It's more space. It's just more epic and and just giant immediately. Like the mountains, mm. the they call it the Coast Mountains here, which was a term we weren't really familiar with until we moved here. But like the mountains mm. just come up from the sea and like wow, it's, it's so big it's bigger than anything really that you'd see in the u.s um and it's just everywhere i mean i'm looking at mountains all around me right now while we're chatting and it's just like crazy so you feel like just like it really gives you perspective on your place in the world i guess you could say yeah i mean the closest i've come to uh the border has been glacier national park Mm. Uh, i went there with my girlfriend 2020 i believe okay for a little weekend and it was just that the scale of it because yellowstone was previously my favorite it might still be you know it it flip-flops back and forth Mm -hmm. of the national parks in america and um just seeing the giant scale of the mountains and glacier was just it's just breathtaking like there's no other way to say it it's just it makes you feel so small like you were saying it's just so vast and so expansive and they just they're so huge just it's wild it's wild to me but i definitely want to go up to british columbia and explore that area because I've heard from my parents that um the Canadian Rockies and that that whole area is so much more pristine is what my mom said just more pristine mm-hmm. than the American yeah. side yeah people just like respect it and like respect time spent outside in a really impactful way and like mm-hmm. you know people will you'll often see people like cleaning up as they're hiking like just picking oh, up water awesome. and like yeah like obviously like practicing the principles of leave no trace, but like putting that in into effect, like even on a casual hike, you know, like things yeah. like that. People just have more respect. I also feel like there's a deeper connection to a lot of indigenous beliefs here. Um, mm. We are, we live on Squamish land and um, we have a very, I think, visceral connection to the first nations here in a way that you, you don't have in the U S um, and yeah, they, they try to forget that. <laughs> Yeah. And we learn and listen and take it really seriously and try to live in harmony more with the land because that's, that's the way that's the indigenous way. So I think like we Mm. definitely take that very seriously. Interesting. How, I don't know if you're, if you're super familiar with Canadian history or not, because you just say you're born in, um, or released raised in Brooklyn, but, uh, what is the relationship with indigenous people like because i know you know what america's like you know how what we think of all that so oh, or at least what our government compli- thinks of all that yeah it's pretty complicated <laughs> here um it's a little bit there's a little bit more reconciliation happening um there mm. was the indian act in 19 i believe it was 1964 that was passed um afforded you know first nations and and first nations and indian bands um rights to vote and and hold property mm. and things like that but um there's a long history, obviously, of broken promises, broken treaties. Um, you know, the Canadian government's a little bit more accountable than the U.S. government. Um, they this year, actually, this past year was the first um, was the first year that the um, Truth and Reconciliation Day was acknowledged, which is the Canadian government's attempt to kind of um, make amends or reconciliation with the um residential schools in canada i'm not sure if you read about that but um they were just <laughs> no. bring it's a little dark i don't know if you want to go there on the podcast yeah go, yeah, just, go ahead go ahead yeah they History. discovered um the bodies um unmarked graves and the remains mm. of like 200 plus children at at wow. residential schools so residential schools were I don't want to get my history incorrect, but I believe I think I'm I think I'm accurate. The residential schools were established in the late 1800s and they were active all the way through to the 1990s. Mm. And this it, it had to actually do with the Indian Act. Um, children were basically forcibly removed from their homes and their families and put into residential boarding schools so that they could assimilate them into mm. Western culture and kind of strip away their indigenous identity. And a lot of children never came home. 
a lot of them. They, in fact, they stopped counting. That's how many oh. children went missing. Um, and it's been, you know, over a hundred years, uh, indigenous people and first nations have been trying to get the government to recognize these atrocities. And they finally did this year. So mm. they had the first official truth and reconciliation day, which I think is October 20th, I believe off the top of my head. And um, it's a day for reflection and it's a day for, um, you know, introspection and the, you know, the Canadian government still has a lot more to do, but they're very, they're a lot more responsive than um, the U S government. But now that Deb Hallen is a new interior um, secretary, she's the first native American interior Mm. Interior secretary in the history of the U S cabinet. She's actually opening investigations as well into the residential school in the U S. I didn't even know those existed in the U S. Yeah, they existed wherever there was colonization. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, no one, this is a lot of the history we don't get taught. And mm. um, it's it's fascinating and it's terrifying and it's emotional and it's it's a lot of feelings, but it's important mm. that we all speak about it, uh, even though it's it, it feels uncomfortable as, as white people, as settlers, I think, to talk mm. about that stuff. Um, it's definitely important for us to acknowledge well, I'm, it. I'm comfortable with it. I'm cool yeah. talking about it. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. It is crazy though, not to get too, uh, too into all this topic, but just like the, the version that you're taught as a kid, it's crazy that you're even taught it as a kid that like, Oh, you know, Columbus and all that, blah, 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 came to, came to the Americas and the native Americans were super happy to see them and like help them out. And everyone was happy, but then they just disappeared yeah. for some reason. Uh, and then kind of in high school, they're like, Oh yeah, we did some kind of bad things. And then like on YouTube, you just watch videos and they're like, Oh, we did some really bad things. <laughs> like they're oh, much worse some... than, yeah. yeah. I mean, gen- it's genocide. We yeah. wiped out entire populations of people. There were, there were, you know, I think at one point there were like over 3 million indigenous and first nations people mm. on in the US, which was called Turtle Island before it was America. Um, and there's like less than 150,000 or something. Like it, it the, the numbers are staggering yeah. how how like small the survival rates are. And I, I'm working with a um indigenous community here in, in Canada on some 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 work, and um they went from quite a large healthy community to at one point, like less than a hundred people. Wow. Like they had been. Yeah. And they're, they're the most, um, I don't know how, to, I don't want to use the wrong word here, but they have, a. Uh-huh. they had the most resources of, of any of the indigenous communities in the Vancouver mm-hmm. Metro area because yeah. of their location. So they were set up for success before colonization, I guess is what mm-hmm. I want to say. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not an expert in any of this. I also oh, yeah. no, hate that. I just, watch, <laughs> I, just, I just watch videos and regurgitate. Yeah, <laughs> I have like a working knowledge of some things, um, uh-huh. but I'm not claiming but to be an expert in in this. And if you want yeah. to really, that would be a really good interview actually for you to do is to reach out to maybe a, an Indigenous educator or somebody that can actually yeah. give you a little bit more insight. Yeah. I don't, I know there's a lot of... Um, initiatives in the group course scene for uh not white people to go out hiking um white men specifically to go out hiking i would love to i don't know if one of those exists for indigenous people but i'd love there's to find tons. that out there's tons um yeah yeah i can put you in touch with a few yeah um there's there's women specific ones that's i'm a little bit more aligned with them um like native women's wilderness um but yeah there's there's quite a few and um you could also go to websites like diversify outdoors and they'll give you access to more of those. They're called affinity groups. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you for that little plug. I will definitely. Yeah. Be doing some research on that. Thank you. Really badass people in that space. Sweet. Yeah. I'll love to talk to them. Love to, to keep the doors open, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, well moving, do you have anything else to say about, uh, the future? for your going outside habits? No, just to do it more, to be more intentional about getting outside and making space because it's really easy to get lost in the scroll and stuck on Mm -hmm. email and zoom and not really take care of your mind and your body. So I think it's important. Yeah. I'm definitely there. I know the final season I have, I haven't been outside in like two weeks, so we'll Mm. see. Yeah. Not a good, it's just not fun. You know, it's also been really hot down here, but 
I'm going on a hike tomorrow. It's supposed to be like 63 degrees Fahrenheit, of course. And it's, mm-hmm. it's gonna be great. It's gonna be awesome. But anyway, uh, we can move on now to the nylon portion, which we can also tie into your company as well. Uh, cause you do promote nylon or nylon esque <laughs> products quite often. Yep. Um, so yeah, tell me a little bit how you got started in the whole fashion scene. Yeah. So as I said earlier, I went to school for fashion design in Philadelphia and I thought I was going to be a costume designer. And mm. I got back to New York um, and was like, oh, the fashion industry is rough. Like, this is a scary place. Like, people are pretty intense and not very nice. And, you know, I was just like trying to figure out where I was going to, how I was going to navigate it. And, um, a friend of mine was working at a trend forecasting agency from France called Promostil. And she was like, you should work with us. And I was like, okay, I don't know anything about that, but sure. Mm. Sounds good. So like I started working with this trend uh, company um, and became like one of their youngest um, consultants. And as I mentioned, um, we had um, a lot of clients. It was actually the oldest trend forecasting company in the world. Uh, it was started in the seventies. Wow. And, um, they all, they all started in Paris. So there's a few of them in that same little handful of, of early adopters, but, um, yeah, so we had a lot of big clients, um, a lot of clients in the active and outdoor and action sports space. This is like 2005 ish. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was really heavily involved in skateboarding and bikes and streetwear, like at the very beginning of it. And, nice. Humble um, brag. <laughs> yeah. So like, I knew a lot about bikes and boards and, and just things that like none of the other people on the team knew about, cause they came more from like a pure fashion background. So they would be like, Oh, you know, like North face is here. Nike's here. Vans is here. You, can you work with them? We don't know. We don't know. Like, you know, and I'd be like, yeah, yeah, sure. Whatever. And I just like became the person that worked with those clients. And I started going to this trade show called outdoor retailer, mm-hmm. which is a perennial, very, you know, iconic, um, industry thing, um, in the U S and, um, just like, was like, Oh, these people are cool. Like, this is like, <laughs> I was like, you know, they have bad taste, but like they're big nerds and like they really care about fibers and textiles and innovation, which is a lot of the things I was interested in. Mm. And I was like, oh, this is a cool community. Like I want to be a part of this. And I kind of like pushed my way in and um, started doing trend presentations at this trade show. And then like my Mm. clients would show up there. So like, oh, hey, Patagonia. Oh, hey, North Face, you're at the trade (laughs) show. Me too. And then like, Mm. I just developed a reputation for this person that was kind of always there and always, you know, working on and working towards like analyzing trends in this space. So, uh, and having a background in design, uh, played a big role in that and, and like really gave me a leg up when it came time to actually consult the clients and, and hmm. talk to them about product development how trends were relevant to like their brand and the, yeah. the products they were building. So that was 2005. And then I did that, um, until, um, I don't remember, like maybe four or five years I was at Promo Steel. And then I went to a company called Style Site, which is another trend forecasting agency mm. but, and started their trend, um, their active and performance kind of trend um, department. And then I went on from there and they, they were acquired by another company called WGSN, which is another big trend company. And then I started my company range in 2012 because I wanted to get more specialized in the work. Yeah. And what is, what is your specialization? That's a hard word for me to say. Specialization, specialization. for Range. Yeah, tricky. <laughs> um, so Range is a creative consulting agency that is specializes in trend and concept and color, uh, consumer insights and strategy and creative production. And for a long time, we did publish a magazine as well. Um, there was a little bit of like an editorial angle to the work for, for quite some time. Um, which I kind of dialed back during COVID and just focused more on the client side of work and consulting. But yeah, and it's always been um, focused on the outdoor active performance space. So um, my clients are big brands, emerging brands, heritage brands, kind of anybody who makes something that functions (laughs) or (laughs) needs to function in a variety of environments. Okay. Yeah. I think that's a pretty good answer. I I, I was... 
A lot of creative types I've found when I try to ask them what they do or what their whole thing is, they give me like a very creative type answer. You know what I'm trying to say? We're like, they're like, oh, yes. I like to activate and connect. And I really like thrive off of relationships. And like, and it's like, dude, that doesn't mean anything to me. Just like, tell me if you like jargon. colors or not. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a lot of jargon is what it is. It's yeah. like LinkedIn jargon, you know? Yeah. I mean, what I do is so weird and so hard to explain. So I have spent <laughs> years trying to summarize mm -hmm. it into this like soundbite yeah. that makes sense, like really granular. Cause like, even like I can't, even, my parents can't explain what I do after all these years. <laughs> like it's really hard trend forecasting. What's that? And trend <laughs> forecasting is really like strategy, you know, mm -hmm. like it's like creative strategy. It's like design strategy. Mm. So well, it sounds uh, awesome. Sounds very, yeah. very cool. Yeah. Um, you also mentioned outdoor retailer, which is something that I was thinking about going to just to see, because my neighbor um, was really big into footwear companies. He worked for a lot of them as like, I don't even know what he did. I think he does a cloud computing stuff now, but he, he's, he had a lot of jobs and um, he worked for like Adidas, Nike, Reebok, all these big companies. Doesn't know anyone there. Apparently he couldn't help me get an internship, even though I wouldn't <laughs> talk to him for like two months, but that's fine. Whatever. Um, uh, he, he was like, you should go to outdoor retail and just like talk to people yeah, and just like make connections and stuff. It's um, definitely the campfire that the, the industry like gathers around. As I'm looking at it now, sadly, the summer, the summer show is going to be when I'm in Hawaii. Yeah. I mean, it's a good time. I think I've gone to like, I don't know, man. It's probably been like, <laughs> I've literally think I've been to 60 more or more of them. Um, wow. the, yeah, they're my clients. And I actually produce a part of the trade show called Venture Out with them, which is like where mm -hmm. the cool and like younger emerging brands hang out. And we have a booth called the Ranger Station, which mm -hmm. is where I, I do like, story. Yeah. yeah, which is where I do like a lot of panels and presentations and trend presentations. And we have active like workshops and activations. There's some jargon for you. Um, but <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, like it's a, it's a cool, it's like this cool, like community that we've built. Um, and the industry, I can't take responsibility for building the industry. The industry <laughs> no, go ahead. Who's going to check you? There. <laughs> no, I'm an icon. Haven't you heard of me? I started the Absolutely. whole thing. No, but like um, <laughs> there is this legacy and this like enduring connection that people that are part of the outdoor industry have. And it's very, in, it's very like, multi-generational at this point. It's not that old, you know, mm. like OR is actually celebrating its 40th anniversary this year, mm. which means like, that was the first time the outdoor industry like organized and had like a yeah. trade show 40. It's mm -hmm. only 40 years ago. So it's a young industry. And, and, you know, there's a lot, they add a lot of value to the GDP and there's a lot of new legislation being passed because mm -hmm. of the influence that the outdoor industry has really? on the economy in North America. Um, so it's become a really powerful player um, within, you know, within the economy in the U.S. And it's not even that old. And it was really started mm. by a bunch of literal dirtbag climbers yeah. who yeah. were like misfits and, you know, <laughs> weren't in it for, you know, to, to be commercially successful. They were just in it for the love of what they did and their community. And they ended up just building these giant empires like, you know. Doug at the North Face and Yvonne Chouinard at Patagonia, yeah, you know, like that's what I was thinking of immediately. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it's cool. It's a really cool and that spirit, like, is it's intoxicating and like everybody has it. Like once you like become part of the industry, like you are a member for life, you know, like your family. And everybody is very connected and knows each other and and works throughout their careers at different companies together and helps each other out. And like, it's, it's a very tight knit community. That's very nice. Yeah. Again, that's, that's something that's definitely on the bucket list. And I know also um, Chase Anderson of uh, outdoor rec archives mm -hmm. um, is another, he also is a big proponent of that. I know he was actually yeah. there. Maybe, did he do a panel as well? Or was yeah, he just presenting part of the archive? We've, we've done a lot of stuff together um, at OR and mm and beyond, but yeah, he's one of my, he's one of my favorite humans on the earth. So big shout yeah, out to Chase. He's I saw a wonderful he also person. Just, uh, donated his hair as well. Lots of love. Very yeah. cool stuff. <laughs> shout out to him. Um, nylon, passive nylon, talk about the present kind of, you'd already did talk about the present a little bit, but what are yeah. some like, as a trend forecaster yourself, what are some brands that you're into nowadays? Yeah. Uh, trends you're into anything like that. Yeah. Hit me. So, I mean, 
always Japanese outdoor brands forever. Japanese like, are great stuff. Forever. Like, yeah. you know, you can't argue with that. Snow Peak and Wander, you know, North Face mm-hmm. Purple Label. Um, oh, Goldwyn, yeah. who's a client of mine for mm-hmm. a very long time. Um, and then, you know, obviously the Heritage brands, which will always, always be in play. And then there's some like cool new brands, I think, coming out mm-hmm. of like, you know, cities um, and places you wouldn't expect outdoor brands to be popping up, which are kind of neat. Um, SK Manor Hill in New York uh, has been on my radar and Paratoto um, in Philly. I think that's their name. Mm. And then um, Brandon, his company that he works with Earth Studies out of Portland. Yeah. Yeah. And Seattle, like they're really super, super cool. Um, Yeah. I mean, we could get, I could go down this (laughs) list forever. Um, my, I could name you clients or I could give you some new ones. Um, but a lot of my job is just to try to be aware of like what's coming and how it's evolving. But, you know, forecasting isn't, it's not like this thing that needs to, I mean, it does actually need to be demystified, but if there's a method to it and it's kind of a mm-hmm. bit of a, a top down and a bottom up approach, or like you look at the economy and you look at innovation and you look at um legislation and you look at technology and then you look at like culture on the on the bottom side of that equation you know like culture mm-hmm. and micro trends and and you know um music and pop culture and like those two things kind of meet in the middle and that's where trends are created and established um mm-hmm. So like as much as people are like trend forecasting, what is that? It's crazy. <laughs> like there's a method to it. I mean, yeah. just like any other, you know, researcher strategy development, like there is a mm-hmm. method to it. And you're, you're just watching things like evolve and, uh, and you're analyzing those, those ebbs and flows and, you know, when they spike and, you know, and when they, they've kind of fallen flat. So, you know, there's adoption cycles and, early adopters and and late mm-hmm. adopters and things like that. Oh yeah. That I all, was a marketing major. Don't worry. I know all about that. Stuff. All, all stuff. <laughs> yeah. So that all goes into it. And then I think you just have to have good taste and like, and like a gut instinct, um, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to like color, like color is one of my specialties. Um, mm-hmm. And not everyone is a color forecaster. Like you can be a trend forecaster mm-hmm. and not a color forecaster. Okay. Um, color is really specific. And I feel like my background as a designer, like helps me a lot with that. Um, and you, I have that kind of like gut instinct of, of what I'm most drawn to and then kind of watching it roll over season after season, like greens change just slightly. Like, you know, we've been seeing a lot of acid greens, right? Like mm. you've been seeing neon greens, I'm sure all over Instagram, but like yeah. how did that green change just a little bit for the next year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the kinds of things that I definitely work with my clients closely on. Okay. So without giving too much, uh, top secret information away, what kind of colors are you seeing now that you really enjoy? Well, it's fun. Like pink's having a big moment, but like really intense, like magenta, like that Valentino pink that's like all over mm-hmm. the internet. Like that's really starting to influence like technical apparel, which I think is really fun and exciting. Um, purple is also kind of coming into focus in a way we hadn't mm. seen it. Like light lavender, there was a color mm-hmm. called digital lavender. Um, that was really popular, um, for I'm always, and keeping in mind, like I work two years ahead in terms of color. So like, I'll say something like, you know, digital lavender will be big for yeah, 2024, yeah. <laughs> but really like the color is kind of circulating through this, through like the runway or through popular culture right now. And then it eventually makes its way to apparel and footwear. Um, and then greens have been really dynamic and interesting and like Mm -hmm. neons and fluoros and stuff, like just having, um, a lot of depth and dimension, like, I don't know, anything like that for technical apparel, I'm always excited about because you don't, you know, other than like your, your monochromatic bases, like your blacks and your browns and your tans and your neutrals, it's like what people usually go for because you don't want to invest in like a statement piece that's going to, you know, cost a bunch of money that you can't wear in more than one Mm. place, but people are feeling more like willing, I feel to like, um, invest in those statement pieces now than ever, especially I think as like the GORP thing moves through into the next iteration, like, Mm -hmm. um, which could be like goblin core. It could be like, (laughs) you know, like there's so many funny little micro trends that, that, that present themselves right now. Um, but I feel like people are looking to stand out more than ever. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you, you kind of have already drifted into the future of, uh, (laughs) 
the whole scene with Goblin Core, which I think is funny. I've never, I haven't heard that one before. Goblin Core is interesting because it's not what you think of it for. Like there's Goblin Mode and there's Goblin Core, which are two yeah. different things. So Goblin <laughs> Goblin Mode is like a newer one that's just starting to emerge. That's basically like gluttony and like like a feral like it also being um p- paired with like feral girl feral girl summer okay um, which is okay. like scrolling and eating like lays potato chips and being so overwhelmed by the state of the world that like you can't do anything so you're like in full goblin mode and then goblin core is a micro trend that is um more about like an intrinsic connect- connection to nature and like biophilic design and mushrooms and like um, okay. it's a, it's different. Yeah. But there's tons it's, of micro aesthetics. So and that kind of seems like, that kind of seems like cottage core, but like more mushroomy. Yeah. It's like cottage core, but more mushroomy for sure. Okay. It's definite, right. And it's like, you know, I think like a good example would be, um, like Roa just came out with an apparel line for fall mm-hmm. winter 22, I think yeah, it was. Yeah. And it's all, it's like all browns and neutrals and like mm-hmm. really like a lot of, um, organic textures and knits and stuff like that's very goblin core to me Mm, okay yeah interesting Mm -hmm. very interesting (laughs) but there's so many micro aesthetics and micro trends that are like yeah from you know tiktok culture and the internet like Mm. dark academia light academia like queen queen core like pastel goth all that stuff yeah which i think it's like so fun but like those things are fleeting and you know when you talk about when you talk about trends like talk about like global drivers are what really drives trends and that Mm. goes back to that kind of like top top down like bottom-up approach and then um they influence mega trends or macro trends of what we call them and and those mega trends or macro trends are trends that hang around for like a decade or more like they're like sustainability mm. that's a mega trend you know yeah. wellness that's a mega trend and then you get into like a micro trend which is like how um maybe like you know circularity would be a micro trend of sustainability mm. like you start to get yeah. more specific components of each of those big trends mm. and then you get into like market trends and that's how like a brand adapts a trend for like to go to market with so like mm. there's like this like whole I'm giving you kind of the play by play of the yeah, yeah. I like it I like it yeah <laughs> but like micro trends and those micro aesthetics like they live somewhere in the like five to six months zeitgeist I guess you mm. could say and then yeah. Gorp, Gorp core has stuck around mm-hmm. for it's quite established itself for sure yeah it's still like a micro it's still like a micro trend I wouldn't call it a macro trend but it's definitely still something important and that was the evolution of norm core. <laughs> I was going to say also, you were talking about TikTok and all that. I think uh, TikTok as a platform moves so quickly, like with trends and all that. It's not surprising that the uh, the style actually moves the same way, you know, with Blowcore, which is something I've seen a couple of times on my feed that it'll be a thing for like two weeks and it'll be done, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like I wouldn't, I would never tell a client, like you should invest in something like that. Like yeah, this you should invest in jorts like, and a soccer jersey. <laughs> no, you need to think about like the big drivers that are important to all of the bigger commun- consumer mindsets and like mm. figure out how your brand interprets that. Yeah, what's coming, what's all that? I, I mean, obviously I don't want you to give away too much of your Yeah, it's not anything, there's no secrets anymore because everything's uh-huh. on the internet, you know? Mm. Everything's, it, you just have to know how to edit and curate it. Well, let me check this story. See if we got questions for you. Uh, Louis or Lewis, maybe Freeman wants to know what are some of your uh, what inspires you. I love that question. Uh, what motivated you to start an Instagram account for the for the page? I mean, it was just like what you did. You just mm. start an Instagram account. Then you know, like Instagram. I got an Instagram in 2011, and I started range in 2012, and everyone at that time was like jumping ship from Facebook because all of our parents started using it and our aunts and uncles and got super whack. So Instagram was just like this new tool to share images and inspiration. And I also had a Tumblr, which I was like very passionate about. And um, the Tumblr community started moving to Instagram as well. So it just made sense to have like a visual, mm-hmm. you know, footprint there. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um You've already talked about inspiration. I have a question about Instagram. Uh, where mm-hmm. do you think that's going to go? Because I've seen some complaints from some of the higher ups in the in the scene 
of the platform itself. Um, what do you think is going to happen? Do you think like Tumblr is going to make a resurgence? Do you think someone else got to replace it or is Instagram kind of replaceable, ir- irreplaceable, I should say at this moment? I think, and nothing is irreplaceable. I mean, what we, okay. we saw this have Friendster, MySpace, Facebook, like at a certain point when they become too commodified and they become too commercialized, like people are like, we're done here. This is enough. Yeah. So I don't, and, and Instagram, once they were acquired by Facebook and they started adopting some of the, the tactics, you know, and like, now that they're pushing everything to video content, like people are still, they're missing like that, that opportunity to share stills and to share images without it being manipulated by the algorithm or just completely ignored because it's, they're going video first so hard. So I feel Mm. like Tumblr is prime for, you know, a resurgence right now. Um, All right. Yeah. I'm glad I made my account. I haven't posted anything on it, but I did just yeah. take the trees and Island username just in case, you know, just yeah. in case. I mean, I still have mine. It's still active. Oh yeah. Uh, every once in a while I look back at it. Yeah. Like I like, we spent, I spent so much time on Tumblr. I mean, blogs and blog spots and Tumblr were like, that's how everybody found each other before Instagram. Mm-hmm. So, and like that played such a big role in the evolution of menswear and the evolution of streetwear. Yeah, um, definitely. So it was, it was really interesting street style. I mean, all of that really came out of Tumblr. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, hopefully we'll see a resurgence and we can get away from uh, Facebook and all everything that they do. Yeah. Um, the next question is from outdoor rec archive. They say not a question, but Janine is the absolute best. So glad you're having her on the pod. So I agree. She's great. <laughs> I'm having a good time. I love Chase. <laughs> uh, Chase, come on the Patreon. It's yes. been a while since we've talked. Let's have another chat. Um, Patreon.com says Trees and Island. Always be plugging. Uh, Brandon, Brandon Scott Therrell, I believe, says. Harold. Harold. There you go. Not bad. Uh, what's the future of outdoor retailer? Ah, that's some hot tea. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, I, I'm I, completely I out of loop. Tell me. Yeah, in. they're moving. So outdoor retailer um, relocated to Denver a few years ago um, okay. from Salt Lake City because the legislation in Utah was not pro environment and not pro woman. Mm. And um, unsurprisingly, <laughs> yeah, some shock. So um, a, a couple big brands pulled out, like Patagonia and Black Diamond. Oh wow. And, because of it, it had it was timed with the re, uh, recension of the um, national monument designation of Bears Ears and Escalante um, in Colorado in Utah. So um, those big brands pulled out. Outdoor retailer said, "Okay, we're going to respond. We're going to move the show to Denver, where there's more of a environment first, um, climate sincere governor in office, and mm-hmm. now they're moving back to Salt Lake City." They just announced it. So the first so this mm. summer show is still going to be in Denver, but next winter is going to be in Salt Lake City. So the whole industry is in a bit of a tizzy over it mm. um, because they have, you know, the mayor of Salt Lake City is very progressive, but the governor and um, the rest of the legislators in the state are still pretty ass backwards. So, yeah, interesting. I think you think a lot be- of people are going to be pulling out or not going just in protest? Ah, I, it's a tough one for me to talk about because they're my clients. So I'm just going to, I'm going to plead the fifth on that, (laughs) but I hope not. I hope not. I really do. I hope we can keep the show alive, but Mm. unfortunately, like there's a a greater force at hand here and, um, yeah, I think the community will speak and they'll make the decision at the end of the day. Okay, cool. Yeah. I won't, I won't make you a box anything that's about to happen sorry about that um hot 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 tea (laughs) yeah sounds like it well that that really sucks because utah has so many national parks too it's really upsetting yeah yeah is it is it not is it not a part of the culture to like enjoy going outside over there it's not about going outside it's about the leadership and Mm. decision makers of the state that that create and pass legislation that is Mm. not pro-environment um yeah they're very much you know led by republicans and led by the fossil fuel industry and lobbyists Mm. and refineries and means the exact same thing (laughs) the church you know the mormon church whatever yeah like it's all very interwoven there and obviously they're not a very lgbtq friendly state Mm. either you know like human 
human rights are not on the top of their list of priorities. So yeah, I don't know. It's just really not a great fit, but uh, the, the, the state itself and the people of Utah are wonderful people and it is a great place to get outside. Mm. So that that's unfortunate. What do they want to do with the, uh, the national forests, landscapes, monuments, whatever they are? Oh, so that was a Trump era policy that's been reversed by Biden. He was trying to mm. rescind the designation of Bears Ears so that it would open up um, the the land to drilling for, to, oh. for fossil fuels. Really that's cool. Awesome. Like super cool stuff. stuff. Yeah, yeah, super yeah cool. like, yeah, let's do more of that. So sick, yeah. yeah. Uh, we don't, I don't think we have enough, actually. Yeah. A thing. So, yikes. All right, well. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. Um I don't know how to transition off of that awful topic. I guess I'll ask another question. Uh, this yeah. is a really lighthearted <laughs> one. Uh, Seneca, we can maybe cut that one out. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. The people need to hear. Seneca yeah. underscore Coretto wants to know, this is very lighthearted. Wouldn't it be cool if we had noses like dogs and could smell drugs from meters away? <laughs> like a dog. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure if that's a question or a statement. Um, question mark. Question yeah. mark at the end of it. Would Wouldn't it be cool? cool? Yeah, it would <laughs> certainly be cool, especially if they could find like dank, the dankest mushrooms for you. Mm-hmm. And you could just be yeah. like, go be my mushroom truffle pig. Yeah, like a truffle pig. Exactly. Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. That'd be very cool. I think evolutionarily, we've kind of like failed a little bit. Like how can I, I, I think about this a little bit too often you can just like fall down if i was just standing and i fell i could just die like i hit my head mm-hmm. i feel like that's bad evolution why don't i have like a thicker skull or something like why don't i have a fail safe for that mm. i don't know I mean, that's just a shower thought that literally means nothing it's not a question it's just me making a statement yeah i mean our our <laughs> eyes speaking about evolution and our bad uh-huh. habits like our eyes are actually getting pointier and our necks really? are getting are getting like reshaped because of our iPhone obsession. They're staring down so much. Yeah. Like our, our eyeballs are literally changing. Like they're becoming like pointier. Wow. Yeah. It's super creepy. That is creepy. Evolving in a bad way. Let's Mm -hmm. return. Let's return back to uh, making fire with two sticks, you know? Yeah. Like that. (laughs) Sweet. Uh, That's all the questions I have for you today. Um, Yeah. Do you have anything else for me before we end off? No, I hope it was um, not too much of a ramble. Um, oh, no, but that's what a podcast is. It's just a ramble. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's an hour-long ramble. ramble. Yeah, so uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course, yeah. Uh, Janine, thank you so much for coming on. If you want to plug anything, you can do that right now. Just anything. I don't really yeah. care. Uh, I'll plug my company range at This Is Range. There you go on everything. This is range.com on Instagram at this is range Tumblr soon to come. Who knows? <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on. All right. Have a good one. Thank you. Talk to you later. Bye. Yeah, I need a piece of this about this form.